Welcome to the Hardy Mom Podcast. My mom has tips and tricks to help you live well with health challenges. She'll even tell you how to get your kids to help out. Wait, what? Your health challenge, girl, I get it. Feeling anxious, depressed, don't you sweat it. Welcome to the Hardy Mom Podcast. I'm Jen Hardy, a mom of seven, proud wife of a veteran, author, podcaster, and community builder. Yes, go to hardymom.com where you'll find the amazing and private Hardy Mom community, a place just for you to meet other moms with health challenges, find help for your symptoms, and parenting strategies created for moms just like us. And today, I have the amazing fabulous relationship expert, Julie Manano. And let me tell you, this episode is not for you if every relationship you have is absolutely perfect. But if you're like the rest of us, you are going to absolutely love her. I found Julie on Instagram of all places where she has almost a million followers. And that's a lot. And I asked her about her social media assistant. And you know what she said? She doesn't have one. She does it all herself because she wants you to get the exact right information. She's got six kids, health challenges, an amazing practice, a phenomenal social skill set. This woman has it all. And I am truly honored to have her on the show. I respect, honor, and love her. And I know you're going to respect, honor, and love her too once you hear her and go check out what she's doing She's amazing. So without further ado, Julie Manano. Hi, Julie. I'm so glad you joined me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It is incredible. Yeah. And you have six kids. I do. I what do. What the age range yeah. of yours? So my oldest is a, is my only boy and he's 21. And then I have uh, five daughters. Um, so my oldest daughter is almost 20. My next daughter is um, almost 17. And my twin daughters are 14. And my little daughter is 11. So, so they're relatively yeah. close. They are. Yeah. A, a 10 years span. And um, at one point I had five kids, six and under. So those were tough times. That's a lot. Yes. Because so yeah. I have seven and I rarely oh, wow. meet people that have as many, you know, close to as many. I know. Them, so. Right. Yeah. But mine are very spread apart. So they, okay. they go from 10 to 33. So wow. Yeah. So yeah, but it's, yeah. it's exciting to talk to somebody else. who ha- you know, It who is you get it. Like, yeah. It, Do you exactly. have boys, girls? What is what's the so breakdown I have, there? I have, Ex- you know what, Julie, I don't know how many kids I have today. <laughs> I know, right? I have four <laughs> what are all their birthdays? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. people will ask me, what are their social security numbers? And get offended, oh, gosh. you know, when they yeah. do, five of them are adults now. And so they yeah. do their own thing. But when they were little and they would get offended, oh, how do you not know they're social? And I thought, oh, I don't really? know my kids' socials. I don't know yeah. nine people's socials. That's me and my husband and all these people know. I'm yeah, sorry. no, it's you know. that's not, not doable. It is, it is not. <laughs> or when they were little and they're like, you know, under 10 and people would say, what is their height? I was always like, I don't, I don't know. I only know heights, adult heights. <laughs> right. Or, or what was their length at birth? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is good. That is unfortunately gone when you have so Yes. So anyway, totally. well, along a personal thing, I read Julie has a plethora of personal experience with attachment and relationships to augment her professional experience. And I think for me, I know I just interviewed a physician that has chronic illnesses and mm-hmm. got her perspective on what it's like 
to be both a physician and a patient, you know, because mm-hmm. I think it's really oh, interesting. Yeah. So for you, what is, can you talk a little bit about that? Is there a, mm-hmm. are you comfortable talking about that at all? And, sure. And how that has influenced what you do now? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would probably say it's more influenced my parenting and wifedom, for lack of a better word, is influenced by what I do and know. Um, but I have been married for 22 years. And again, I have six children. So learning this information has dramatically changed my ability to show up as a, you know, a better partner and a better mother. Um, mainly because I just know how to be emotionally validating. So what I've learned is that it's really, you know, I kind of went into parenting like a lot of us thinking, okay, you check all these boxes and you'll be okay, right? You keep the house clean, you send them to the right school. And that wasn't really working for me because I didn't grow up in a home with um, emotional, that was extremely emotionally supportive and it's probably the the other way. And um, so I just didn't know, I just didn't know a thing about emotional support. And it wasn't until I went back to grad school that I started learning a little bit more about that. And then as I I dove into attachment theory, and it's just been night and day, you know, as far as my kids, just emotional wellness and wellness in general in life, my own, my marriage, it's been night and day to just have those skills to have a secure attachment with them. I think that's so, so important. I know. So I had a similar thing growing up, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. the most supportive. And so all I knew is what I didn't want to do. And so when I got mm-hmm. pregnant, I went, to, I was going to college. I went to the library and read every book mm-hmm. I could read, but yeah. that was 32 years ago. And so oh, the gosh, things that yeah. they were saying then were not the kind of things that they're saying, no. now, you know? Yeah. And so I've tried to explain to my adult children, you know, I did the best I could from books, right? Right. And not knowing, but I right. think the younger ones are really reaping the benefits of having access, honestly, to people like you. I'm just going to fangirl oh. on you right now oh, because I think- thank you. I mean, when I, when I asked you to be on the show, I, I was saying like, I really feel that most of your posts could be a book in themselves. And you have this way of yeah. taking this great piece of information and condensing it into a usable nugget for people. Well, I appreciate that. Word. And yeah. so I really, well, I appreciate you. I think because it's people like you, honestly, that are going to help a whole generation of kids grow up with a better relationship with everybody. Wow. And that really and just so gave valuable. me chills. I really, really appreciate you saying that that means an app a lot to me well, yeah welcome. It just, i, I just yeah. think it's so important and it so, is and i'm so glad i can somehow ended up being this person i don't know how that happened but here i am you know on the scene making this yeah. stuff digestible for normal people so i'm doing the best i can with that it's interesting. And you know, and yeah. you just have whatever it is that people are looking for, obviously, because mm-hmm. nearly a million followers on Instagram and people mm-hmm. are really connecting with what you're saying. So right. Yeah. That's that's really amazing. So and I was I was gonna ask, but we've kind of covered it a little bit. How have your own experiences influenced the way you counsel clients? So you talked about how they influence your family. Yeah, that's a good a good twist on it. Um I'm trying you know, I think I just can relate to so much. You know, I can, my husband has uh, 12 siblings and just ha- the, seeing the dynamics in their family. I, I have two siblings, but just not quite as much diversity. But I, I just, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think, and you, you might relate to this too. Like I've had every kind of birth possible. 
Yes. Like I've had a C-section. I've had twins. I've had this. I'm not a natural birth. And maybe just using that as an analogy, I just, I've had, I have six different personalities that I'm raising, six different, um, you know, six different set of challenges. You know, if each of my kid has some sort of challenge and each of them has their strengths and, um, I guess too, just, you know, my relationship with my husband watching how we've grown even without therapy, you, you know, we've, we've haven't really been able to access therapy because, um, it's hard. It's really hard when you're a therapist to get therapy, <laughs> you know, you don't trust anyone. <laughs> and also it's been very difficult it, traditionally to find attachment focused therapists. So, um, so we've had to do a lot of this work on our own. And um, so recognizing for me that you can actually take this journey with a partner uh, with just resources and information without necessarily having someone holding your hand through it all. I guess that's probably been the most helpful part. And okay, so along that line, I have had experiences with therapists. It's been very hard to Mm -hmm. find someone great. Mm -hmm. And then I found someone and then she retired. Oh no. So if someone's listening and they think, you know, what you're saying and what I'm reading from you is great, but I really need a therapist. What is a good, Mm -hmm. what are some good guidelines to give someone to find a trustworthy therapist? Well, I think, I think the climate's getting better. First of all, um, as attachment theory takes hold and as trauma, more trauma informed types of therapies, take hold. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with somatic experiencing, but it's learning to access your emotions via your body instead of being via your head. I use that all the time in my practice. And those are the kind of the two cutting edge pieces that have been added to therapy in the last decade that have really transformed it. And so the trainings and all these things available to therapists are just, especially with couples, just so much more effective. Couples therapy is really getting better. Um, and so the type of work I do is called emotion focused therapy for couples, or I'm sorry, emotionally focused therapy for couples. And you can find a, an emotionally focused couples therapy um, therapist on ICEFT. It's I-C-E-E-F-T dot com. And we're all over the world. There, it's, there's two, two major modalities of couples therapy, Gottman and EFT. And so, um, if you go to icef.com, you can search your zip code and uh, find one. Great. That's what okay. I recommend. Yeah. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So Perfect. people can just yeah. click on it. That'll make it easier. And Absolutely. speaking about emotionally and being emotionally mm-hmm. healthy, um, I I saw one of your posts had a stack of books on it. And I love mm-hmm. books. I'm actually, my new bookshelves are here and waiting oh, to nice. go in. I'm so excited. But one of the books that you discussed was The Body Keeps the Score, which is yes. actually one that I have right behind me. Awesome. But I haven't read it yet. And I know for okay. a lot of people listening, I've done a lot of research on my own because I have mm-hmm. multiple chronic illnesses and the people Aww. that I've talked to who are like me that have a lot of these strange things, sh- things that should mm-hmm. never even go together uh-huh. that a lot of times there's trauma in the past or some kind of mm-hmm. abuse in the past. It just tends to be what I've found in my experience mm-hmm. and the people I've talked to. So what can people do to help their body not keep the score? Well, first of all, I also have chronic illnesses. Um, I don't know that, you know, your history, but um, I, I struggle with that also. And I think so much of it is related to the state of my nervous system. You know, my nervous system is so, so, so sensitive. So, I, for example, uh, 
two weeks ago, I went to watch, I, I was at a museum and I was watching one of those like IMAX, IMAX things that go over your head. And I've had migraines since then. So it's like anything can set it off. Um, and so for me, what I've gotten from the body keeps the score, which is that somatic work I was speaking of, that's the kind of the Bible of somatic experiencing is the body keeps the score. And for me, it's learning how to keep myself regulated, to keep my um, self in what I call the wind or what um, is called the window of tolerance, meaning that space um, kind of if you're if you're above your window, you're dysregulated, you're in hyper arousal, you're irritated, you're anxious, you're in fight or flight, you're or fight, I guess I should say, um, you're, you're, you might be kind of fighting with people or poking at people. And then when you're below your window, you're numbed out, you're disengaged, you're, you're not there, you're absent, you're not emotionally present. And then within this window, you're, you're calm, but you're engaged, you're, you have a balance of head and heart, and staying in that window, and more importantly, learning how to get back into it, especially for those of us who tend to have a hyper aroused response to stress. Um, learning to get your body back into that is key for me for when it comes to my physical and mental and emotional well-being. And uh, I'll give you an example uh, of a somatic technique. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is amazing, right? But the way that you would use cognitive behavioral therapy to help someone regulate is to say, well, change your thoughts, right? If your thoughts are irrational and scary, your your body's going to follow that. And that can be really helpful for some people. But for a lot of people, that there's limited effectiveness there or it hits a wall. And that's when the somatic piece comes in. And it's like, never mind about the thought. Just go to where the feeling is showing up in your body. You know, is your heart, is your chest tensing up? Is your heart beating faster? Is your stomach clenching up? You know, do you feel your, your limbs shaking? And then you, you actually kind of really hone in on that and make space for your body. Your body is actually trying to process an emotion, but we're so used to coming in and not feeling that in so many different ways from substance abuse to controlling, over controlling our environment to, you know, um, any kind of addiction, any kind of just numbing out and, Really, what we need to do, um, somatically speaking, is just allow more space, hone in on the feeling, allow it to peak. And if you allow it to peak, it will start to dissipate. I like that. Yeah, and then you can I'm... get back to that regulated state. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no. You keep talking as well. <laughs> but I think that was it, yeah. We we have a child mm -hmm. who who is struggling with regulation. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody keeps saying. We'll just stop thinking that way. Well, a child mm -hmm. cannot just stop no. when no. they're on that path. So no. I love that. I love that idea of yeah. let yourself feel it. Where is it mm -hmm. in your mind? How can you do that? Because yeah, the, the changing the thought is not working at all. No, it's really, no. you know, it, I mean, even mature people have a hard time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certain things I think where that can work at certain times, but um, I think too, to add to that meditation is extremely important. A part piece of that, because when you're, meditating, you're kind of having, you're kind of getting your body into that window of tolerance and learning how to keep it there for extended periods of time. So the meditation is practicing regulation. So it's easier outside of these meditative states to find it and stay in it. 
And that's a big piece in the book also. So, okay. Yeah. I can't yeah. And there's um, traumahealing.org is where you can go to find a, a somatic experiencing therapist who's specially trained. They, oh my gosh, they have hundreds of hours of training. It's very intensive work to, to become a somatic experiencing therapist. So well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Because unfortunately, more people have experienced trauma than I had ever realized oh, yeah. until recently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it's hard. I, I just did a live um, on Instagram this morning with Katie Morton, who is um, she specializes in trauma, which was super helpful because she was defining it because a lot of people have no idea that they actually have had traumatizing experiences. We think of it as these needing to be these big events. Well, it could be a thousand paper cuts. Right, right. Well, and I was yeah. actually listening to that earlier this afternoon. Oh, were you? And, okay. And her talking about yeah. the little T or the small T. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah. Recognizing those. So, yeah. I think yeah. That is something to listen to. So if you're listening, go on Instagram and hear that. Yeah. Today is the 29th of August. So you can look at that day and find it because it was really good in explaining different kinds of, of trauma and that it doesn't yeah, have she's to right, great. be huge, Mm-mm. but mm-hmm. a thousand little things do add up. Yep. So... Yeah. So another thing I was reading is um, touch. You talk about touch a lot. Mm-hmm. Why is touch so important? Well, humans just, you know, th- most humans thrive on touch. There's a very strong nervous system component there. Um, you know, we know that babies will literally die without touch. In the Iraq war, the babies that were left in orphanages with no touch, they they failed to thrive and actually die Um, And it's, it's our nervous systems need a regulated other, you know, for co-regulation. That doesn't mean that as adults, we need to, we do need to learn how to self-regulate. It's very important, but by being touched by someone with a regulated nervous system, their regulated energy is literally going into your body through touch you know, through the, just your body starts picking up on the way their blood is pumping through their hands. And so you can actually, you know, be regulated by another person's physical contact. And, you know, when you're talking about regulation, you're also talking about bonding and, you know, it's, there's different, if you're, if you're having a conversation with a friend, let's say, and you're describing a really, you know, distressing event at work and your friend is being emotionally supportive to you and it feels really good, right? You're feeling regulated and it's calming you. And it's the same thing with touch. It's just a different way to get there. And it's, and it's bonding. And that's the important piece with couples is the touch is bonding. So we want any, any way for couples to bond is a good, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. I I just need to pause for a minute and just let you keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. When I was, when I had my last two children, my husband would kiss my face in while I was Uh in labor and Uh it it made the the pain go away. Isn't that amazing? Ended up kissing my face for like an hour at the end. But I mean, it was amazing because we did the natural thing. Uh Yeah. So, um, but it was, it was pretty incredible how much, how much that helps. Oh yeah. I mean, they've done studies with people who get MRIs and the difference between those who have their, you know, partner holding their hand during the MRI and the ones who don't, it's pretty fascinating how much more regulated they are. Yeah. And what about saying thank you? You know, it's such a simple thing, but it's just, it's, so when I work with attachment, what I'm looking for is 
the overall climate in the relationship of met attachment needs, right? Now, met attachment needs means what do you need to have or what do you need to know to feel safe and close to another person? So sometimes it's easier to think of it in the reverse. Like, could you feel safe and close to someone who you knew did not respect you? Could you feel safe and close to someone who didn't appreciate you? No. So it makes sense that we need to know we're appreciated, we're valued, we're wanted, we're validated by our partner in order to feel safe and close. That doesn't mean that they need to be taking care of all of our emotional needs because we also need to be giving that to ourselves. And in fact, we can't take it in from them unless we have already given that to ourselves. But so any any way that couples can go about meeting each other's attachment needs is just icing on the cake and saying thank you. What is the message there if your partner gives you a genuine thank you? It's I see you. I appreciate you. I want you to feel good. And that is meeting attachment needs and just a simple little way, just two words. You know, it has to be obviously genuine and, you know, but... That's great. Yeah, that's an easy yeah. way. So let's say someone's listening and they think, okay, we're doing all this discussion about attachment, mm-hmm. but they have not heard about attachment before. What are the basics? Well, the basics are that, um, like I said, you need a climate, an overall climate in a relationship of met attachment needs in order for the relationship to feel safe and to feel good and to feel, uh, you know, for the two people to feel close. And to varying degrees do relationships need this. It's, it's the, the most powerful way that these attachment needs will be, will show up is with, is between partners and between parents and children. And so if children grow up in an environment where they can feel like they can consistently reach for comfort, for emotional comfort and connection, from their caregiver and they'll be responded to in a positive way most of the time, not all the time. You know, we don't want all the time. That doesn't help us build resilience, but um, they will grow up being feeling secure. Like it's okay. People are going to be there for me when I need them for the most part during those times when they're not, I, I'm going to be able to self-soothe because it's the exception to the rule. Um, and so if that's not happening, we have some, you know, we have, let's say for example, there's an, uh, an environment with a lack of predictability of responsiveness. Like sometimes the, the caregiver might show up and be responsive. Sometimes not, you never really know. Sometimes it's a positive response. Sometimes it's a negative response. That's going to lead to an anxious attachment because that person knows what a response feels like because they get it right. They get it enough of the time to know what it feels like, but they don't, they're not able to trust it or count on it. So it kind of leaves them in this hypervigilant state. Am I going to get my needs met or am I not? You know, is mom going to pay attention to me or, or send me to my room if I rock the boat? And again, we're not looking for perfect parenting, as you well know. We're just looking for, for good enough, right? A good enough responsiveness that the child has an overall felt sense of I'll be, I'll be responded to. Um, and then we have, you know, when a child just doesn't get responded to at all emotionally, like their, their needs may be taken care of, their, you know, their, their nutritional needs, their, their educational needs, their needs to go on play dates, but they're not getting real emotional comfort and connection, real validation. They might say the the parents might do a lot of boys don't cry or don't be sad. Just get over it. Just put a smile on your face, you know, and all the modern versions of that, right? That's kind of an old school thing, but 
even modern parents show up with that same dynamic and different wording. And so that child hasn't had enough emotional availability to really even know what it means. And so what they learn to do to stay safe and survive is to just cut their emotions off. Like, I just, I don't know what these are. No one's reflecting them for me. I'm not going to get comfort and connection. So I'm just going to kind of detach from them in a really subconscious level. And that's what we would call an avoidant attachment style. And then we have a disorganized attachment style, which usually involves trauma. And it's, there's, there's just a pervasive lack of trust. Like the caregiver isn't just either unresponsive or unpredictably responsive. They're actually a threat, a danger. They, they might hurt the child. They might yell at the child. There might be such a, such a level of neglect that they just can't possibly trust anybody can actually be there for me ever. And you're just going to see a lot of variations of responsiveness that person is going to have um, in response to relationship stress later. So what happens is, is that for the most part, these caregiver relationships for children that create anxious, avoidant, and disorganized, insecure attachment are mirrored in the partner relationship later. So if you have an anxious attachment growing up, you're probably going to respond to relationship stress with your partner in a very anxious way. And same with avoidant. Does this make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, how is your past relationships with your caregivers informing your relationship today? How is it contributing to what you fear? How is it contributing to how you react to those fears behaviorally? How is that impacting your partner? And what can we do differently? How can we help partners start really showing up for each other emotionally to build a secure attachment? So let's say you were raised a certain way and you think, oh my goodness, that's me. But I don't want to be mm-hmm. that for my kids. Mm-hmm. What can they do to, to change it? Learn to give to their kids what they didn't get. And that is genuinely knowing how to emotionally comfort, emotionally validate. It it doesn't look like, you know, you're going to, we're going to give you your way every time. Um, you know, let me give you an example. You know, I don't know if you have rooming <laughs> issues in your home with where everybody's going to be. Our mine are closer together. So, but um, we recently gave up our guest room to because we had two 14 year olds and the 11 year old in one room. And it's a huge room. It's not like it was a tiny little room. It was massively huge room, but it was it just wasn't working anymore, right? And they're too old. So we gave one of the twins the guest room. So now she has her own room, but that left two people two of the girls resenting the fact that this one got the room. What are you going to do, right? I mean, you got to pick someone. So it was it was like just a lot of like, hey, I get it. That's hard. I know it's hard. I know this is a bummer. You know, and at the same time we're going to work with it. So so you're not like saying, you know what? Get over it or you're being selfish or you're really validating, "Hey, I get it. This makes sense that you would be upset." You know, and at the same time, we got to be appreciative for the fact that you have this beautiful room. Um, so that's just, you know, again, you, you don't want to go to one extreme of, of just completely ignoring the emotional part because that's threatening to you to think they're in distress or you don't want them mad at you or whatever it is, or you don't want to raise a spoiled child. Um, but on, we don't want to go to the other end, which is just indulging, you know, whatever they're wanting. That's just creates another kind of um, problem. So does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It does. 
So it's learning, it's learning to help that child grow up feeling the things that you may have not felt growing up, valued, validated, like your needs matter, seen, understood is a big one. How many of us grow up just feeling completely misunderstood? You know, my hands raised over here. So, yeah, yeah. So there's several, several people that, that are in my community in different places that are having a real problem with those in their, maybe their partner or their extended family or even their children not understanding the, the chronic illness or mm-hmm. their symptoms. They may be accused of faking or mm-hmm. exaggerating or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's very painful for them. Yes. Because they're not getting the support that they need. But they don't know what to do or how to make that better. Yeah. Is there any? I don't. I don't know if there's a way they can communicate it or what do they do in that situation? Because I know of a few people recently that are just really struggling with that. Yeah. So when you do, you mean the person has the chronic illness and they're not feeling understood or supported by their family or children. Okay. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Esther Perel. Um, and one of the, the phrases that quotes from her that I love is, you know, some things are not problems to be solved, but paradoxes to be managed. So it's kind of like, here we are in this really crappy situation, right? I'm over here suffering and, because I'm not able to live a normal life and I'm, you know, maybe needing to sleep for two days in a row to combat this weird virus that nobody can see on the outside. But at the same time, you're over there suffering because you don't have a partner or a parent that's available to you. We're both stuck and suffering. So how can we just kind of pull it together and and be with each other through the suffering and pain and try to forge a way forward? I like that. So you're acknowledging that the other people are struggling with your illness as well. Yes. And that was a real turning point for me because there are times even to this day where I'm in bed for two days. You know, I get this weird thing. I don't know. I call it the mystery illness and I'm just crashed out. I mean, my family and I went to um, Italy over the summer and I had a three day stretch of it. And now everybody's kind of able to just kind of accept it. But it was a turning point for me when I went from you guys are jerks and don't understand what I'm going through. And why can't you be more compassionate to, you know what, I really get how hard this is on you guys. I I can't control it. And I'm really sorry. It's not I don't, I'm not shaming myself or taking, you know, making it about my fault, because it's really truly not. I'm doing everything in my power to figure this out. But I get how hard it is. And and all of a sudden, like the compassion level went up exponentially. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, it is. It's Yeah. It's, and, I, and I think it's important to add that piece of like, I'm not shaming myself because nobody wants to feel like they're the cause of you beating yourself up over it, especially kids, right. you know. So I, I'm always like, you don't have to take care of me and tell me it's okay. I love your compassion feels amazing. Right. But I'm not, I'm not beating myself up, you know, but at this end, at the same time, I recognize this is really impactful for you. I really, I really like that. Thank you. Well, thank I think you. that's going to be very helpful for people. And then Good. I had, I had asked people to submit questions for you. So I have mm-hmm. just one of them that I want to read because the sure. rest of them we've pretty much covered in what we've talked about. Someone wrote in and said, 
I am struggling with one of my relationships. It's a very important relationship to me, but my friend just won't stop accusing me of doing something that I know I didn't do. I want to get that relationship back, but I don't know how to do it and make them happy without saying I did this thing. How can we get back to the way we were and how can I make it right? Regardless of what the details are, that person on the other end felt ignored, felt unseen, felt like they didn't matter. There's probably some truth to that. If someone is having getting that experience, maybe not, right? Some people are just kind of delusional. But for the most part, there might be some truth to the fact that those feelings were real. So that's really what needs to be addressed. That, Like, look, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't remember the events like that, okay? But what I'm hearing is that you felt unseen by me. And that's what matters to me. However you got there. And however, whatever I did that left you feeling unseen, I, I truly apologize for that. You know, it's not taking ownership for the, for the actions, but it is taking ownership from how the meanings that they made of that. And, and also that person might not, you know, they might be getting injured too in the way that person is bringing it up to them. So I always say, spend some time with the initial concern giver. Spend some time with that. Don't, don't leap into, well, here's my problem. Really spend some time with that. Really sit with that person, validate it, and that's going to regulate them and get they're they're going to feel heard, they're going to feel seen, and then they're going to open up to maybe another conversation later. Two days later, you call and you say, you know what? Listen, I just want to kind of bring this up because I want us to have a closer relationship. Like, I really get everything you were saying, and and I I do feel you know um, sorry that you were walking around feeling unseen by me or misunderstood at the same time the way you brought it up can we work on that can we do something different in the future because that didn't feel right for me this piece of it that's fabulous thank you thank you well thank you so much for answering all of these questions is there any what would be the one thing if somebody is listening the one thing that you would want to make sure that they took away from listening today um, I, the one thing is, is just understanding the attachment needs between two people to feel safe and close. That's the missing piece here with everything attachment related is that we aren't knowing how to meet each other's attachment needs. Um, and the first thing is awareness that they exist at all. Okay. And so learning about what our attachment needs, what do we need to feel safe and close? And when that's not happening, then we kind of take it a step further and figure out well, how do we meet these needs for each other? And what I hear you saying, too, is that sometimes the details are not what matter. Sometimes the feelings are what matter. Yes. And that we don't need to argue about the details. It's just a waste of time. You know, it's just a waste of time. A a lot of the time. I mean, details do matter to some degree. I don't want to throw that out the window. But I call it when I'm working when I'm working with couples and they're doing that, I call it they're just out attorneying each other. But. It doesn't get them anywhere. But when we start focusing on, listen, forget about, forget about what she said. Tell me the message you were getting. What was, what did it feel like for you? Okay. You were getting the message that she's angry with you. What's that like in those moments for you when you think she's mad at you? It's terrifying, right? It's terrifying. Even, and I'll look at the other partner and I'll say, I'm not saying you were even mad. 
right? I'm not even saying that. I don't know if you were mad or not. I haven't talked to you yet, but I do know that you felt like she was mad. And let's talk about that. And let's figure out how much of that was coming from her. How much is that coming from your past trauma history? And more importantly, what do you do when she's mad at you? Do you talk about it? Do you ask? Do you get curious? Or do you start arguing about the facial expression? Yeah, I have that face. And, and if I if yeah. I'm not actively smiling, I mean it's it's bad. Oh, no. And so people make this oh. assumption that I'm upset all the time. Ugh. you know, but I'm That's not. That's terrible. And so, oh gosh, thing. yeah, but, um, yeah, because my that's my face. Okay. It's really bad. <laughs> well, it, but, but, but it, it looks like pensive. It's your pensive it, face. It is, yeah. We can call it, yeah. that. but, um, but it's my muscle, you know, my muscles just aren't, you know, they don't, they don't yeah. want to smile. Um, but, but people do make assumptions. And so I think that's a great thing though, is to say, you know, let's, let's talk about how we're feeling and I yeah, can tell exactly. you and I, and I will, when I'm having a day when it's really bad, I'll say, you know, just don't look at my face today and listen to what I'm telling you because Yes, I, I love absolutely. you, and I am happy regardless. Yeah. So right there, you go. That's just transparency, and you know, sometimes when when it's happening with my husband and I, um, I'll just you know he does great things on his end too, but I'll just be like, okay, what is it that you're needing to know right now? Before we go further, what are you needing to hear from me? Because you're getting, you know, I I can sense that you're starting to feel, and he'll say, I just need to know that you're going to hear me. I'll say, okay, I'm going to hear you. <laughs> And so, I appreciate yeah. you sharing some personal things with us too. I think that really helps to know that oh, thank you know, you. Yeah. you're a person and you're, you have struggles and, oh, yeah. and real relationships and things. And Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Failures all over the place and <laughs> repairs and picking up. And I can tell you learning how to do this emotional availability stuff is the key. It really is. All right. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. And I think that is doable. Even if when mm-hmm. we don't feel well, we can still listen. And Absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Tips and tricks here that will help you. There's advice from experts and interviews. Find time to be with your kids and family. I can help you get it done easily. So premenopausal or postpartum, all stages of womanhood, girl, we've got them. I've been there, I've done that too with a Hardy Mom podcast. Yeah, I'm here for you.